0: Welcome to the Publishers Podcast, Your place for Psychiatry Soundbites. Hi I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. In this episode, I'll bring you up to date on our latest online selections of important peer-reviewed research and reviews for part 1 of our May June 2020 issue. We also feature three new activities from our CMI Institute. Visit us online at cmeinstitute.com to participate and earn free CME credit. Let's get started. The COVID-19 pandemic and the resulting quarantine have affected everyone by now, but how are they transforming the delivery of mental health care? Go online to read a variety of perspectives on COVID-19, including first-person accounts from physicians in France, Italy, and India, as well as thought-provoking commentaries on how the pandemic is impacting psychiatry. These offerings are freely available at Psychiatrist.com. Treatment-resistant depression is a chronic, recurrent condition with an escalating demand for pharmacotherapies that can provide sustained benefit. In this Janssen-sponsored study, which is freely available online, Weiss and colleagues reported the results of SUSTAIN-2, an open-label, long-term safety study of repeated esketamine nasal spray plus oral antidepressant treatment in patients with treatment-resistant depression. Specifically, the authors aimed to assess cognition, interstitial cystitis, and new adverse events. The study enrolled 802 patients in a four-week induction phase with a twice-weekly esketamine dosing. Subsequently, 603 patients entered a 48-week optimization maintenance phase with weekly or every other week dosing. The study ended as planned when 150 patients completed one year of treatment. During the optimization maintenance phase, 38% of patients maintained every-other-week dosing, 24% received weekly dosing, and 38% alternated between weekly and every-other-week dosing, according to a Montgomery-Asperg Depression Rating Scale-based algorithm. The overall adverse event profile and increases in blood pressure after dosing were consistent with observations from short-term studies. 9% of patients discontinued due to adverse events and 7% reported serious adverse events. Measures of cognitive function generally improved or remained stable over 12 months' treatment. Urinary tract symptoms were manageable and generally did not lead to discontinuation. No cases of interstitial cystitis were observed. Six patients experienced deep sedation after a dosing that resolved spontaneously without requiring intervention. Conclusions from the efficacy assessments were limited due to the absence of a placebo arm. Nevertheless, the reduction in depressive symptoms appeared to be sustained over one year with 77% of responders and 58% of patients achieving remission at the end of the optimization maintenance phase. The authors conclude that treatment with ischetamine was tolerable over a one-year period and no new concerns were identified. Artificial intelligence or AI can identify which patients are at highest risk for suicide using medical records. While AI algorithms may improve the accuracy of predictions over a traditional assessment, an algorithm is only useful if it is interpreted accurately. This study is the first to investigate how clinicians interpret information from AI algorithms. In this survey of a variety of mental health clinicians, the majority preferred to know which algorithm features, such as age, diagnosis codes, and marital status result in a patient being flagged for suicide risk. While AI algorithms can indicate which variables have the most influence over predictions, clinicians cannot interpret these variables in isolation, as variables interact in a complex manner to improve accuracy. Clinicians were also more likely to report that some algorithm features would alter their clinical decisions more than others. Therefore, clinicians' likelihood of acting in response to a suicide risk flag was tied to which features were highlighted rather than simply the presence of the risk flag itself. These findings present a conundrum to proponents of implementing AI and health records. On the one hand, clinicians may not trust black-box algorithms if the features underlying a recommendation are hidden, and so these black-box predictions may be ignored. On the other hand, clinicians need to be extremely cautious about interpreting individual features of an AI program in isolation. The authors, therefore, recommend that clinicians require training an ongoing consultation in the interpretation of the algorithms to ensure that they are interpreted accurately patients with schizophrenia have a reduced life expectancy of 15 to 20 years with cardiovascular disease as a major cause metabolic syndrome has been introduced as a diagnostic tool to identify those at high risk in this study supported by the chinese government Researchers compared the longitudinal metabolic effects of seven antipsychotics to investigate the risk factors for metabolic syndrome and make recommendations on the frequency and timing of monitoring. Over 2,700 patients with schizophrenia were recruited from 32 hospitals across China. Patients were randomly assigned to seven antipsychotic medication groups. Their metabolic conditions, such as body mass index or BMI, waist circumference, blood pressure, blood lipids, and blood glucose, were assessed every two weeks for six weeks. Changes in metabolic measures were compared among different antipsychotic groups to improve current guidelines for frequency and timing of monitoring. Results show that rapid and substantial changes were observed for BMI, waist circumference, and blood lipids. Antipsychotics generally had greater adverse effects on patients who were initially screened as metabolically normal. For example, for patients with a BMI less than 24, all seven antipsychotics caused significant increase. However, for those with BMI of 24 or greater at the start, Only 3 of 7 antipsychotics resulted in significant increase. Clinicians should no longer assume low risk for patients with normal metabolic parameters at baseline. The prevalence of metabolic syndrome significantly increased from 11% to 13%. Different antipsychotics resulted in differing risk for incident metabolic syndrome with no class effect of atypical and typical antipsychotic drugs. Some risk factors for incident metabolic syndrome were female sex, specific antipsychotic, and elevated numbers of white blood cells. Based on these results, the authors conclude that metabolic traits should be monitored frequently in the early stages of antipsychotic treatment due to rapid and substantial changes. Suicide continues to be a leading cause of preventable death, accounting for an estimated 800,000 deaths worldwide. It remains unclear, however, whether specific clinical factors contribute to heterogeneity in the timing of the onset of suicide attempt. Identifying these factors could have important implications for suicide prevention. Using data from the National Epidemiologic Survey on Alcohol and Related Conditions, a nationally representative U.S. adult sample, the authors of the present study compared the characteristics of four different suicide attempter groups. Those who first attempted before 18 years. Those who first attempted between 18 and 34 years. Those who first attempted between 35 and 49 years and those who first attempted at 50 years or older. They found that more than 8 out of 10 suicide attempts occurred before 35 years of age. Compared with suicide attempts occurring between 18 and 34 years, attempts occurring before 18 years were more strongly associated with childhood maltreatment and less strongly linked to prior psychiatric disorders. Conversely, First suicide attempts occurring at 35 years and older were more strongly associated with a prior lifetime history of substance use disorders, including alcohol use disorder and nicotine dependence, and mood disorders. These include mania or hypomania and dysthymic disorder between 35 and 49 years, and major depressive episode at 50 years or older. Based on these findings, the authors conclude that there are substantial age differences in risk factors for first suicide attempt, and they emphasize the importance of assessing age at onset of first attempt among suicide attempters. Improving early detection and treatment of psychiatric disorders and preventing childhood maltreatment may have brought benefits to reduce the burden of suicidal behavior at all ages. Metabolic diseases like obesity or other cardiovascular diseases such as hypertension, dyslipidemia, and diabetes represent a major health concern worldwide. In psychiatry, behavioral and genetic risk factors, as well as the psychiatric disease itself, add up to making psychiatric patients more prone to develop metabolic disturbances. The present study, with support in part from the Swiss National Research Foundation, evaluated cardiovascular health in two large Swiss cohorts, a psychiatric cohort of just over 600 patients and a population-based cohort of nearly 7,000 patients. Cardiovascular health was characterized by estimating the risk over 10 years of a cardiovascular event or death, the 10-year risk, and by establishing the prevalence of metabolic syndrome. The 10-year risk was very low in both cohorts, at less than 1%. However, the prevalence of metabolic syndrome was high, as it was present in 33% of the psychiatric participants and 24.7% of the population-based subjects. Young female psychiatric patients show the greatest difference with the population-based cohort, with a prevalence exceeding three times that of young women from the general population. They were also half as likely to be treated for their metabolic disturbances compared to women in the population-based cohort. This study sheds light on metabolic health and underlines the vulnerability of the psychiatric population. Given the major impact of metabolic syndrome on morbidity and mortality, it is crucial that healthcare professionals monitor and control metabolic parameters regularly in psychiatric patients. Antipsychotic polypharmacy in schizophrenia is common, but is it supported by evidence? In a recent ASCP Corner article that is freely available online, Dr. Christoph Carell considers this question as well as possible reasons for the apparent disconnect between efficacy and effectiveness. And from our CME Institute, you are invited to view the newest CME webcast in which experts Alan Avedon and Anna Burke share their expertise on insomnia and Alzheimer's disease. In the webcast supported by Merck, Doctors Avedon and Burke discuss correcting misconceptions about older adults and sleep, recognizing insomnia in patients with Alzheimer's disease, helping the care partner with useful strategies, and safely treating insomnia with medication and other interventions. Watch this series of short videos interspersed with comments from family members and case practice questions and be sure to test your knowledge and earn free CME credit. The treatment of schizophrenia is complicated by a host of challenges. In two new CME brief reports supported by Alchemies, Otsuka, and Lundbeck, expert Christoph Corel discusses patient-centered assessments and emerging agents for the treatment of the disorder. In his first brief report, Dr. Carell presents the treatment challenges commonly faced, such as inconsistently defined clinical outcomes, failure to account for patient perspectives, adverse events that contribute to medication non-adherence and subsequent relapse, and a lack of interventions that target all symptom domains. Learn from an expert about the need for assessing patient-reported outcomes and expand your knowledge of the treatment challenges posed by negative cognitive and effective symptoms and adverse effects. In a second brief report, Dr. Corell presents encouraging data for the treatment of schizophrenia that suggest efficacy for new agents in targeting the various symptom domains and minimize risk for clinically relevant adverse effects. Dr. Carell describes current, recently approved, and investigational treatments for schizophrenia. Read these reports to learn more about treatment strategies and earn free CME credit. In closing, be sure to visit us online at psychiatrist.com to view the newest online offerings from Part 1 of the May-June 2020 issue and at cmeinstitute.com to explore interactive activities and earn free CME credit. Thanks for listening. This is John Shelton signing off. I hope you will join me next month for the Publishers Podcast, Your Place for Psychiatry Soundbites.